Scripture lesson for this morning, for this third Sunday in the season of Lent, it's Lent, not Advent like last week, it's Lent, Uh, Lent comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Listen now for God's word to you. Then Jesus, mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So for me, there are few things quite like going home to the Chicagoland area where I grew up. Uh, Even though I haven't lived there in about eight years or so, uh, going back to the the city of Chicago and to the surrounding area is a lot like a return back home for me. And I still remember that first homecoming that I had when I was a freshman in college. Um, I had gone away to school, to a small school in central Indiana, Uh, That was sort of a a strange thing for me. I had grown up in the same house, lived in the same house my entire life, had all these familiar surroundings and people that I knew. And and so I went away to school to this completely new environment and this completely new place. And college was, for me, what it is for so many people, this opportunity to start figuring out who you are as a person, to start asking those questions that perhaps you've never asked before, to have experiences that you've never had. And even in those first couple of months being away from home, I started to feel like I had become this entirely different person. Like the person that I had been in my hometown seemed to no longer exist as I had all these different experiences. And then came that first trip back home to my hometown. Um, I had a lot of great expectations. I was so excited to show my family, my, my mom, my dad, my sisters, my brother, my aunts, uncles, to show them this new person that I felt like I had become. I was ready to, to wow them with all of the insights I had as a 19-year-old college freshman. Um, I kind of had this expectation that when I crossed the threshold of my family home, that the, like their entire world would stop. Like It would be like the return of the prodigal son. Like, um, I, went, you know, I was the oldest. I was the first one to go away to school. So like I had returned, and everyone would be super excited about it. But of course, that's not what happened. I got home, my mom wasn't even there, she was out shopping or something, and uh, one of my sisters wasn't there, she was at some school activity, and and my brother had to be dragged from the basement away from the video games to come see his brother. I think he was disappointed that he didn't have his own room again anymore, because we grew up in the same bedroom. So, uh, but I started to to feel sort of strange in that family house. Like, I, I felt like I had become this different person, I had all these different sets of experiences, but there back in my family home, My family knew me in a very different way, and they were ready to treat me as the person that I was when I had left, that I had a a particular role in my family, and they were ready to treat me back in that role, to assign me back to that role. Now, of course, that's not anything unusual or uncommon, that uh, as we go about our lives, as we have our own experiences, as we go off on our own, start our own families or whatever it might be, We have these sets of experiences that change who we are in a lot of ways. But the people that we knew, the people that we grew up with, aren't there to see those changes take place. 
And so they have these still shot images, these screenshot images, these, these images frozen in time of who they think you are and they treat you in that way. And we do the same thing with our families, that as we go about our lives, you know, their, their lives haven't completely stopped. It's not like the return of the prodigal son when we come home, right? It's, we have images of them, and they've changed over the course of time. It seems like Jesus is having the same issue with his family here in the Gospel of Mark, that, that they have some particular image of Jesus that's frozen in time from when he left Nazareth, a, an image that perhaps Jesus no longer fits within that Jesus had a, a particular role within his family of origin, and now he doesn't really seem to fit within that role anymore. As the gospel writer Mark tells the story to us, there seems to be considerable conflict between Jesus and his family. Uh, Mark, in fact, has the least favorable view of Jesus and his family, of, of Mary and his brothers and his sisters. Um, there's considerable conflict between them. Um, you know, family life is always complicated, but Jesus' family situation, at least here in the Gospel of Mark, doesn't look anything like the black and white, leave it to beaver kind of image, the, the Norman Rockwell kind of painting of family life. Uh, there's, there's family conflict that exists here. and A lot has happened in Jesus' life here in Mark chapter 3 since he left home, uh, since he left Nazareth all the way back in chapter 1. And that's really how Mark's story begins, is that Jesus goes from Nazareth in Galilee down to the uh, Judean wilderness where he is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And in that baptism, there's this mystical vision where the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove, and, and there's a, a divine voice that comes from heaven that calls Jesus God's beloved, that this is Jesus' anointing, his anointing as God's anointed one. That's what that term Messiah means, to be God's anointed one. But the question is, what sort of anointed one is Jesus going to be? What kind of Messiah is Jesus going to be? You know, there were all kinds of ideas about who the Messiah was going to be. There were no shortage of people claiming to be the Messiah in that culture. You know, most of the thoughts were around the Messiah being some sort of national hero who would restore national glory and honor in the world. And so that's what most people thought the Messiah would be. But what sort of Messiah is Jesus going to be? And so to figure that out, Jesus goes out into the wilderness where he fasts and he prays for 40 days in this time of discernment, of, of listening to God's spirit, of, of who he's called to be. And the answer that he seems to get is that the Messiah he's going to be is not one that fits into those conventional ideas of who the Messiah is supposed to be. That as he emerges from the wilderness, he doesn't go back to Nazareth, back to his hometown. He instead goes to the town of Capernaum a town about a four-day walking journey northeast of Nazareth on the Sea of Galilee. It's a little fishing village. There's commerce there. And, and Capernaum becomes Jesus' home base. It becomes his adopted hometown in the Gospel uh, of Mark. And as he begins his ministry, we start to get a sense of, of what it is that Jesus has come to do. That Jesus has come into the world to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a world that is ordered by love, a world where justice is done, a world where there is equity and compassion. That is what Jesus has come to bring in through his life and through his ministry. And so he, he sets up his home base and he starts to call men and women to participate in the work that he's doing, to participate in the arrival of the kingdom of God. And, and just as Jesus has left home, just as Jesus has left behind everything he's known, he also calls men and women to leave behind everything that they've known, and to join him in this work of bringing about the arrival of the kingdom of God. 
And so as he, as he does this, he starts to gather these huge crowds around him. Jesus really explodes on the scene. He's sort of like a rock star. Um, you remember the Beatles saying that they're bigger than Jesus? Um, I think Jesus could give them a run for their money with the crowds that were, were pressing in around him. And, uh, and in those crowds, you have people that are uh, sort of unsavory characters, people that righteous, decent, and upstanding folks would say you shouldn't associate with. You have people like tax collectors and so-called sinners, which is just a, a word for those who are prostitutes. And, and, and these are people that Jesus is incorporating into his kingdom. And the, and the religious folks say, why are, the, are you considering them part of the kingdom of God? And then you have hungry and desperate people. You have people who are looking both for their daily bread and for the bread of life. You have those who are both poor materially and those who are poor in spirit. That we know that even though you, you might have a lot of financial resources, resources, even though you might have a lot materially, sometimes you still deal with a poverty of spirit. And, and those people are being called to Jesus as well. You have the, the marginalized, the destitute, the, the people who are suffering at the hands of the Roman occupation. And they hear about how Jesus is announcing this new sort of kingdom. And they, so they come flocking to him and he explodes so big on the scene that there's a sense that Jesus and his disciples are having a hard time meeting their own daily needs. They barely have time to stop and to rest and to eat. And, and then among that crowd, there are those that Mark calls, uh, Mark describes as suffering from unclean spirits. So we would understand this to be, uh, they understood it in their culture to be demonic possession. Um, so maybe we struggle a little, a little bit with the idea of demonic possession. It's not like uh, The Exorcist, the movie The Exorcist. Um, but we understand that there seems to be some forces at work in our world that run contrary to God's good intentions. Forces in our world that run in opposition to love and justice and equity. And so Mark sees Jesus as one who comes to uh, drive away those sorts of forces, to do away with all of those things that stand in opposition to God. And so as Jesus is doing all this, and as he's gathering a crowd, he starts to generate quite, quite a bit of controversy the religious establishment down in Jerusalem, it's quite a ways away from Capernaum. Uh, they get wind of what Jesus is doing, and they come up to check it out. Uh, the religious establishment doesn't like crowds. Crowds are places where ideas begin to form. Crowds are, they can't control them. Crowds begin to think beyond the status quo. And so the religious establishment comes up to put a stop to Jesus' ministry. But not only them, also already here in Mark chapter 3, the political leaders are also trying to put a stop to Jesus. It says that the religious leaders are conspiring together with what's called the Herodians. So think of the Herodians as a political party. So these are not two groups of people that are aligned in, in, in common interest, but they're already conspiring together against Jesus to stop his ministry. But it's not just them. It says in uh, the section right before what I read here uh, this morning, it says that as Jesus is preaching and ministering among the crowds, his family comes out, his mother and brothers and sisters come out so that they might restrain him because they thought that he had gone out of his mind. So it's not just the political and religious leaders, it's his own family. His own family has come to kind of stage a, a sort of inter intervention, right? They've come to, to bring Jesus back to Nazareth, to, to tuck him into bed, to give him a, some chicken noodle soup, to, to help him start to feel like himself again. 
You know, Jesus is not the person that they remember him being in Nazareth. There have been a lot of things that have happened in his life, and, and they're still doing some catching up on all of that. They want Jesus to act like the person that he had been. He no longer fits with the image that they had of him. And maybe we can be a little understanding of Jesus' family, especially of Mary. You know, we all have ideas and, and thoughts about what we want for our children or the, those kids in our lives, our nephews, our, or just even the, the, the children of our friends, people that we consider part of our family. We all have desires for, for who we want them to be, but, but as they go through their lives, sometimes those desires, the direction that they go doesn't line up with what we had dreamed for them. Um, and, I, and I think the hope and the goal is that we would be supportive of them, even if it takes us a little while to gain some understanding of what they're trying to do. Um, Heather and I have, have talked about this, and we've kind of joked that, that we always want to be supportive of our kids no matter what. And our kids are still really young, like the ones still figuring out what it means to be alive. But um, <laughs> we always say we want to be supportive of our kids, but it would be an adjustment for us if Axel wanted to become something like a DJ, right? Like, um, <laughs> but having gotten to know him... Maybe he would, he's probably going to be a stuntman, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> we desire our kids to kind of fit into the images that we have for them, but as they grow, as they change, as they have their own experiences in life, um, sometimes they don't fit with that image. And, you know, maybe Mary uh, had a different understanding of who she wanted Jesus to become. Um, you know, g- the Gospel of Mark is the first gospel that's written down. There's no birth narratives, there's no visits from the angel Gabriel or anything like that. So maybe in Mark's understanding, you know, Mary doesn't quite know the the path that Jesus is on. You know, maybe she wanted Jesus to stick closer to home, to have, to get married, to have a bunch of of babies, to give her a bunch of grandchildren. You know, maybe Mary wanted Jesus to take over the family business after Joseph passed away. Maybe Mary does have an understanding that Jesus is God's anointed one. But the way that it's going currently is not how she imagined it going. The way that it's going currently is going to end up with Jesus on a cross. She knows what happens to people who do the things that Jesus is doing, and so she wants to put a stop to it. But maybe for Mary and for Jesus' brothers and sisters, the growing edge is to not hold so tightly to the images that they have of Jesus from back when he was in Nazareth, but to realize that the calling that God has given him, given him in his life is much bigger, much more beautiful, much riskier than they could have ever imagined it being. And I think for us too, people who already consider ourselves to be part of Jesus' family, the risk is that we will have images of Jesus that are frozen in time that we will want to hold tightly to, to hold Jesus to those images, that And as we hold to those images, we will have those moments where we want to run out and we want to restrain Jesus, to bring him back into the boxes that we have held him in, to bring him back to our theological systems, to bring him back to to church tradition, to, to bring him back just to the places where we are more comfortable with interacting with him. But the problem with Jesus, the great paradox of his life, is that the the closer we seem to get to him, the more understanding we seem to gain, the the more he seems to surprise us, the more expansive his mission and his understanding seems to be. Because what Jesus has come to do in the world is to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. 
And perhaps that most cornerstone phrase, the kingdom of God needs its own redefinition. Because what Jesus has come to do is he has come to build a family. And Jesus knows how complicated family life can be. We see it here in this story, but in the most idealistic sense of the word, in the best sense of the word, Jesus has come to build a family, a place of belonging, a place of radical belonging for all people. And so as Jesus, as ministering to the crowds, uh, his mother and brothers and sisters, they can't even get to him because there's so many of the people around him, so they send word to him and and he catches word that his mother and brothers and sisters are there to come and get him. And, and, and in that moment, you can imagine the, the, the eyes of the crowd are fixed on Jesus. You have the, the tax collectors and the so-called sinners looking at Jesus, wondering if this is the moment where they're going to be cast out again. You have you know, the destitute and the poor wondering if this is where it all ends. And, and Jesus says, who is my family? And Jesus, looking out at the crowd, says, this is my family. This is my kingdom. Th- these people are more than just mouths to be fed. These are, just, these are more than just people in the crowd. Th- this is my family. This is my kingdom, my community, my people. So who is Jesus' family? It's the question that Jesus continues to ask us. Who is Jesus' family? Perhaps it is those who are right at the boundary of where we want to go get Jesus because we think that he's gone out of his mind. Perhaps it is those who are just outside of the boxes that we have tried to place him in, that those are members of Jesus' family. And I think that we will always and continually be surprised at the people that Jesus includes in his family. Perhaps you've heard the, the story of the man who arrived at the pearly gates and uh, St. Peter asked him, religion? And the man said, Methodist, and uh, he said, okay, go to room 32, but be quiet when you pass by room 8. And so the the man left, and then the next person came up, and St. Peter said, religion, and the man said, Catholic. And he says, okay, go to room 16, but just be quiet when you pass by room 8. And so the the Roman Catholic went, and the next man came up and said, uh, and St. Peter asked him, religion, he said, Jewish. And the man, and he said, okay, go to to room 24, but just be quiet when you pass by room 8. And the Jewish man said, you know, I understand each of us getting our own room, but why do we have to be quiet when we pass by room eight? And, and St. Peter said, oh, the Baptists are in there, and they think they're the only ones here. Um, <laughs> Jesus is building a family. And we are going to always be surprised at who is included in that family. Like any family, we might be wondering, how is it that we are in the same family together? How do we come from the same place? There will be people we don't quite understand their decisions. But, but Jesus is building a family, a community, a, a, a kingdom. And Jesus continues to ask us that question, who is my family? And as we look out, we'll hear him say, here are my mother and brothers and sisters And as we look out in the world, we'll hear Jesus say, here is my kingdom. Thanks be to God. Amen.